You are listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast, a podcast from the Kavira Coalition about the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of agrarians in the United States. Each episode will explore what it means to work in regenerative agriculture, how people came to choose this as their livelihood, and why it's important to them and the future. We hope to build a foundation for a strong community of future agrarians and land stewards with a regenerative approach to community, relationships, and the land. Taylor Sanders. I am the New Agrarian Program Colorado Manager for Kivira Coalition. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Maggie Hanna. She's the Director of External Relations at the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust. We'll talk about what it's like working for a land trust, what exactly are conservation easements, and her work on mental health and the farming and ranching community. I hope you enjoy our interview. Thank you so much, Maggie, for joining us today. We're just going to kind of dive right into it. Where are you chatting with us from? Where do you work? And more importantly, what did you eat for dinner last night? <laughs> so today I am chatting with you from the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust office in Old Town, Arvada. Um, although yesterday I would have been chatting with you from Fremont County while I was doing a baseline update on a ranch we are working on a conservation easement for. Um, I am the director of external relations for the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust. Um, and what I ate for dinner last night, it's a little embarrassing, but I ate some, uh, olives and um, uh, some like leftover veggies in my fridge. <laughs> no shame. No shame at all. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, olives are the way to go. Sometimes, I mean, if you were out doing ranch visits too, it's just, it's just whatever is quick going down the hat. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So explain to me what exactly is Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust? Yes. So um, from here, I will go ahead and abbreviate it. But Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust, CCALT, is an organization that works with farm and ranch families around the state of Colorado um, to help facilitate conservation outcomes for working lands. CCALT was founded in 1995 by the membership of the Colorado Cattlemen's Association. And one of the interesting components, we are an organization that utilizes conservation easements uh, as a way to support farm and ranch families in a variety of conservation outcomes. Um, conservation easements are a tool that eliminate the development right on a piece of property. So um, that those farmers and ranchers still own that property. They can still uh, transact that property so they can sell it and they can pass it on to their children and or grandchildren. Um, but it eliminates the ability for them to turn it into 35 acre ranchettes um, or a full blown subdivision or a gravel pit. Um, so it allows for farm and ranch families to both invest in and plan for the future 
uh, and say, though development pressure exists in this community, we can commit to agriculture. Conservation easements are uh, a very cool tool for some folks. Um, it's not the right tool for every operation, but it is um, an interesting tool for a variety of reasons. One, uh, it offers uh, an opportunity to create liquidity in an ag operation. So there are both cash and tax incentives for placing a conservation easement on a piece of property. And it allows for families to think through estate planning. It also has the opportunity to create access for agrarians who may not have been born into or married into uh, an agricultural family. So that's what the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust is. We are the uh, largest statewide land trust in Colorado. We have conserved close to 690,000 acres of working lands statewide since 1995, um, working with more than 400 ag families around the state. And the model of being based in sort of the community of producers, so founded by the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, was such a unique model at the time that we were founded in the mid-1990s. Nine other Western states have followed suit and have um, established uh, livestock-oriented land trusts that are focused on producer organizations and actual working landscapes. So um, we, as a collective, are represented in the partnership of rangeland trusts uh, that work basically throughout the West to conserve working lands and working families. That really clarifies what I think not a lot of young folks really understand what conservation easements are. So thank you for clarifying. I I really wanted to touch on, you were saying that they're really important for young agrarians who didn't like marry into a family with property or inherit property themselves. Can you go into the details of maybe examples of folks who have gotten access to land through conservation easements? So I, uh, I'm happy to share kind of why it creates an access point. I don't know that I can speak to specific examples just because I'm not in the, the inner workings of most of these operations. But conservation easement is, as I mentioned, a restriction on the deed of a piece of property. So the elimination of the potential to develop that property. And the way we value conservation easements is taking the before value, the value of that piece of property prior to it being encumbered, and then what that property would be worth with the conservation easement on it. And the difference between those two is what we understand to be the conservation value. So the way that it has an opportunity to create access is that encumbered landscapes have um, a an adjusted value because they can only serve a variety of purposes. So ag and open space for the future. It sort of creates a different capital output for someone looking to get into agriculture. Yeah. So you're saying that an, a landowner with a conservation easement, they have a, I guess, a, a more incentive to maybe lease to beginning farmers and agrarians. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think that I think the challenge with um, sort of painting broad outcomes like that is that a conservation easement is just a tool in your toolbox. So it's like having a hammer or a screwdriver. 
if you are looking for a hammer or screwdriver, it's very useful. And there are so many things that we can do with a hammer or screwdriver, um, but not every family and or landowner uses them for the same purpose. So uh, sometimes families use them to acquire additional property. Sometimes we see families use them to pay down debt. Uh, sometimes we see them as really strictly conservation outcome. Uh, sometimes we see them as an opportunity to manage an estate. But what it does, I think what you're sort of getting at is it changes the value of the landscape. So it's not the same capital output that you would be seeing if you were to purchase or try to access landscapes that were unencumbered. Myself and a lot of other young agrarians in Colorado I, I guess looking at the landscape of real estate and accessing land for activities we want to do in agriculture, it's pretty daunting at the moment here in 2021. Um, land prices are just insane. And so how has those land prices, especially after COVID, how have those land prices increasing um, affected your work in conservation easements? The hard part is that we often see landowners, landowners approach conservation, as I mentioned, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's to pay down debt. Sometimes it's to buy out a sibling. Sometimes it's to cover a family costs. Sometimes it's to transition the property to the next generation. And so, I mean, one of the really big challenges is for these family operations, now that not, I mean, land value is not necessarily a new thing, but I think as we watch land values continue to, to climb, now we have family members who say, I am sitting on an asset and maybe I want to be bought out. So oftentimes we see landowners approach us with the hope that they can secure a conservation easement, create liquidity without disposing any part of the property and afford to pay a sibling for their shares in the operation. Sometimes we see some conflicts with the value structure and how we value conservation. Um, as I mentioned before, the equation of using the before value and the after value gets a little bit complicated when there is a market for any land. And so now we're seeing properties that are encumbered sell for as much as their neighbor that is unencumbered, you know? And so we're having sort of a value structure issue in the conservation community and figuring out how do we continue to deliver conservation outcomes in a way that creates value for broad communities and landowners when that encumbrance is now no longer taking the same discount that it had in the past. So that's how we're seeing land values. And, and then, I mean, operators have the challenge of always having in the back of their mind the awareness that that land is a huge asset. You know, we look at farm and ranch families as typically land rich and cash poor. And when you have severe drought and commodity markets that are all over the place and a commodity that uh, struggles to stabilize, you know, and you can't predict and you can't expect outcomes and sitting on this asset, you suddenly think, you know, maybe... Maybe I need to transition out of this space. And so that's where we're seeing land values create uh, issues in our work, not issues, but impacts. That's exactly what I was wondering. That's It, it kind of just changes your equation a little bit. Your very simple equation that has worked for a while and maybe still works in some places is just getting a little wonky. Is that kind of 
what I'm understanding? Definitely. Um, and parts of the conservation community are always trying to figure out how we can define value in the conservation space that is not purely based on, you know, just what that land is worth as a, on the open market. I'm wondering, you probably learned so much in this work. What are the most rewarding parts of your job? And alternatively, what are the most challenging parts of your job? In the spring of 2020, we were early in COVID and all of our uh, offices had been shut down. We closed a conservation easement in Chafee County uh, outside of Buena Vista with a rancher who had grown up on the property and was facing the challenge of managing siblings' expectations. And one of the things he mentioned to me at closing was that it is such a gift to have work of consequence. And I look around and I, A, the rewarding parts of my job, I love working with landowners. I love working with uh, farm and ranch families that have a vested interest in making sure that these landscapes are productive and viable into the future. And so having the opportunity to do that is pretty special. I love the opportunity I have to work statewide. I get to spend a lot of time in the field and I get to spend a lot of time in different parts of the state that most people's work don't, doesn't take them to. <laughs> so I really enjoy those parts. But I think the, the concept of this being work of consequence, um, conservation easements are a perpetual obligation. So knowing that as we close these transactions, the landowners might change and the exact ag or uh, operation may adjust over time as it likely should, but that these landscapes will exist for my kids and my grandchildren and the future that they'll be able to drive uh, through Chafee County and have an unobstructed view of Mount Princeton and know that I got to have some role in that, I think has been maybe the most rewarding component of this work. It also creates a very good dose of anxiety because you know that these are perpetual obligations. And so they are commitments that should be done with ultimate care. But those are those are my big pieces of rewarding the gifts of this work. So would you say the sort of anxiety is the most challenging part of this job? Or would you pick any other sort of logistical things that are challenging for you? I think one of the challenging components of this specific work that I have is based on the way we value conservation easements, um, you know, this is a tool that is available to everyone. It is a voluntary tool. And one of the things that makes Cattlemen's unique is that we do not solicit conservation easements. So every every family that's interested in working with Cattlemen's has to knock on our door, um, which means that all of those uh, conservation easements that we hold were landowner driven. And based on the way the conservation easements are valued, sometimes they just don't pencil for landowners. And I think one of the really challenging parts is when it doesn't work for a landowner and value is not there. And sometimes landowners are in a tough spot and need to buy out a sibling or sell the property. The hard part is not being able to deliver an outcome that is beneficial to landowners. And I think the other challenging part is creating broad buy-in I think we work in a very specific space in which we are providing a conservation outcome 
to private landowners in the state of Colorado, and as our partners are in other uh, other states, other communities. And when I when I watch consumers and the Front Range and sort of just general population uh, have critical things to say about what's happening in working landscapes. I sometimes am frustrated at how to create buy-in that these families and these landscapes and these ag operations are providing so much to our world and our lives. (laughs) Um, And I wish I was better at communicating that. That's so important. And Colorado is such a perfect example of this interface between the rural and the urban and folks who work in land, work on land and don't work on land, but still maybe care about land. But there is so much, there's such a cultural difference between people who work on the land and people who talk about the land, you know, and have those kind of ideas, but aren't actually out on the land. And so um, I think that's really beautiful. And I think I'm constantly encouraging folks friends of and and colleagues of mine like get out and talk to ranchers like go out and talk to them and we paint a lot of broad strokes about ranchers and landowners and i think that's something that you you've stated really beautifully is is just they are such an asset to our landscape and i think there's just not a huge um appreciation of that at this moment absolutely um and i think i i I maintain, and this may be naive, but I maintain that I don't actually know that our cultural differences are so deep. I mean, Colorado is a unique example, but, you know, the Front Range has grown basically exponentially over the last 10 years, and people are choosing life in this space for a reason. We choose it for its natural beauty and its open spaces and clean air and water and all of those things, and we forget... I think how many components of that system are dependent on working landscapes. How did you end up at your role in CCALT and kind of where, what's your introduction to agriculture? Yes. So I was born and raised on a cow-calf operation southeast of Colorado Springs, uh, south central El Paso County. I double dip a little bit. Um, and I actually manage my family's cattle operation today. So I work for the land trust and I work on behalf of Hannah Ranches Incorporated. So my introduction to agriculture was at birth, which I appreciate is, uh, an opportunity not extended to everyone, but I, so I grew up in ag and I went away to school. My undergrad is in urban planning and my master's is in ranch management. So my interest has always been the interface of these spaces that we all choose to live in. And how I got specifically to the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust is twofold. So I'll give you both answers. But the first is conservation easements are a really cool approach to land use and land management in the fact that we can look at this tool and we can look at landscapes and we can look at specific operations and each of them is unique. Each of them has unique pressures and unique inputs and unique outputs. And it was a pretty fascinating way to see working lands and conservation as an economic development tool for rural communities. 
what is going to keep rural communities in Colorado functional. It's largely an ag base. And so how can we invest in those operations and ensure that the next generation is willing and able to come home? The second tier of that answer, (laughs) CCALT's tagline is from one generation to the next. And my dad, Kirk Hanna, is considered to be one of the founders of the land trust. He was a president of Colorado Cattlemen's Association and uh, involved in the early days of the land trust. And I grew up kind of in the shadow of working lands conservation. My own family went through the conservation process in 2008 to conserve what is now the fourth generation of a Hanna Ranch. So I have this really unique opportunity to be on both sides of the fence uh, in my work with Cattlemen's in that I am both managing a conserved uh, generational landscape uh, and I have this interest in land use and community development and ensuring that rural Colorado has the opportunity to be viable for the future. And how I ended up here was uh, Eric Glenn, our current executive director, recruited me back after Uh, grad school. And yeah, I had been a summer uh, stewardship intern in 2013. So I think my word of advice to young people is show up and be willing to work and you'll find yourself a seat at the table. We're in the process here at Kibera of of sort of painting a good picture for our apprentices and young agrarians in general of what types of opportunities, career opportunities there are in regenerative agriculture and agriculture in in general. I think a lot of folks just think that either you're a producer or... or that's kind of it. You are a producer or you work in policy and in like, you know, on the farm bill or something. But I don't think that people understand that there's so many different careers in all these little niches. And so that's why I wanted to have you today is because you serve such a particular purpose. Um, And I was wondering if folks want to kind of get into the land trust sphere, what sort of skills and personality traits and interests, or maybe even actual qualifications, would young people need in order to have a role like yours or work in other land trusts uh, all over the nation? I can't speak for every land trust, but I think one of the things that Cattlemen's does really well and has since our founding is listening. I think we all show up with an agenda at some level, but I think being willing to be a facilitator and a listener has been a huge asset. I have been really lucky in that the leadership at the Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust right now is largely that if you are willing to work hard and care deeply about these places and these communities, there will be a role for you. I don't think you need to be an expert in real estate or an expert in the law or an expert in water or an expert in ag, but I think the ability to show up and listen to landowners Um, and be willing to work hard on behalf of our landowner community has been kind of the asset that has proven to be most useful for our team. I think the coolest part about ranching in general (laughs) and farming, um, and this largely comes out of some Wendell Berry text, but you have, if you have any interest in marketing or real estate, or cattle, or genetics, or soil health, or uh, biodiversity, or wildlife, or 
policy or water, <laughs> you have an opportunity to be interested in and involved in agriculture. You know, like the spectrum is so broad that if you have you know, any interest that ties you to land or place, there are likely opportunities uh, to create impact. So if you are, if you're looking for that, I don't think you necessarily need to be a landowner or a land manager or a producer directly. There are immense opportunities to create impact in our ag communities, our rural communities, and in landscapes that are productive. I know you're passionate about a lot of things. We've talked a lot about your work in sort of rural development. But if you um, if you didn't ever have to sleep and you could live a second life and work a second job or maybe just work on a passion project, what's another sort of issue or even just interest of yours that you would dedicate your time to aside from what you currently do? This is not a hypothetical answer. <laughs> this is something that I am actually currently involved in. Um, but I have, for the last five years, been very involved in rural mental health work. So I have uh, served on an advisory council with the Department of Agriculture and uh, Colorado's Commissioner of Agriculture. I served on some boards with Mental Health Colorado, and I have worked with Colorado Farm Bureau on their Colorado Agricultural Addiction and Mental Health Program. I wish... So this is where I think your question about sleep comes in. I wish there was more that I could give to those efforts, but that has been something that has been a very big part of my, I wouldn't even call it free time. I would call it like my professional extracurricular. <laughs> and I do think there have been really impressive strides in the last uh, handful of years, but I think it's a space in which there will never be a perfect answer, but creating opportunities for rural and agricultural communities to invest in mental health and mental wellness, I think is a place that I will continue to be uh, pretty involved in. I think one of the scary things about the ag space is that, um, similar to your story from your, your morning, um, we sometimes look at mental health and we look at how we operate as, you know, you you eliminate what doesn't work. And I think that's something that we have to address in how we treat ourselves as human beings and work on being open about uh, supporting one another. That's beautiful. Yeah. For listeners, we, uh, Maggie and I were just talking about, we have a tiny farm here and we had to put down a boar and a sow that have been on our property for a couple of years and have given us so much. And we were just dealing with some health issues that just weren't getting solved. And so it, it's just, it was heart wrenching. Like I, I think when you talk about it, you're like, yeah, just call them, you know, use the word call as if it's like easier <laughs> if you use the word call, but it does, it always hurts. Like every producer I know, it always hurts when they um, have to put an animal down and, and can't use the meat, you know, and like that circle can't be finished. And so, yeah, I think that's huge. And I, I think a lot of young farmers too, when they get into animal farming, the victories are so good and the losses are just so hard. It needs to be talked about more and shared with more about the struggles and like the time you like cried about an animal dying. Like it sounds, you kind of just want to have that stiff upper lip, like, you know, I can, I can get through this, but it, it sucks. It always sucks and it never stops sucking to lose animals. So I love that work that you're doing. Thank you for, for all you're doing. 
in that sphere. And so, yeah, tell me about, since you're really involved in agriculture on a lot of different levels, tell me about what you're most excited about in agriculture. Um, It can be Colorado or anywhere at this moment. I think this is probably a little bit of a double-edged sword, but I'm really excited that I think people are asking questions about our food supply chain. I think engagement has been one of the things that we've really missed from consumers. And so I am, I'm excited that people want to know where their food is coming from and how it's getting to them. I think one of the things that was really eye-opening through our early COVID quarantine phase was how our supply chain functions and getting a little bit more intimate into how and where that can pretty easily be impacted. The other thing I'm excited about in ag is that there is a lot of hope for the future. I think we our technology has been a huge uh, asset. We've, we're learning so many things so quickly and um, the opportunity to invest in landscapes and you know, make them better has just gotten even easier than it than it was 15, 20, 40 years ago. I think I'm excited about young people being excited about agriculture. I think that was one thing that came out of, uh, again, this COVID year was people were really attracted to being closer to land. And I, I though it has created impacts in other spaces, I'm excited that people understand the value that nature plays in their lives and hopefully what food plays in their lives. So those are some of the things I'm excited about. I think the other thing that I'm excited about broadly is having ag at the table for conversations around uh, carbon and what, uh, what our soils can actually do for carbon sequestration And in the state of Colorado, I'm really excited about our recently adjusted state tax credit to support conservation on working lands statewide. So those are the things I'm excited about right now. One more question just to kind of wrap things up. When you're on your ranch and you get to just kind of relax and forget about your other jobs and your other obligations, what's your favorite thing to do on the ranch? It could be chores or just kind of riding a horse around or doing something else super peaceful? What's What brings you joy on your ranch? This is probably not what brings a lot of people joy, <laughs> but uh, we ranch quite close to the front range and we have on occasion an issue with trash. So folks dump trash on county roads. I'm sure we've all seen it. I really find a lot of satisfaction in picking up the trash on the county road. Um, And I would not call that my favorite chore, but it does, I appreciate uh, problems that have an easily identified problem and an easily identified solution and a very uh, satisfying result, which is a clean, trash-free county road. (laughs) Have you, um, have you, do you ever read David Sedaris's books? Yes. And he was just talking about these long walks where he picks up trash. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly the same thing. And he's like kind of a legend. I think he lives in the UK now. Yes. And he just trash on the side of the road. It's going to be you, Maggie. Yeah, I know. Well, people, people will honk and wave. Uh, sometimes I worry, the two things I worry about most in the trash pickup game are snakes and um, someone driving off the road and hitting me. 
Oh man, that's awesome. That is that is really nice though. I think it is just so satisfying to just be like that looked terrible and now it doesn't look terrible. Exactly. And I just, all it took is like 10 minutes of me doing that tiny section, you know. So, that's awesome. Well, thank you Maggie so much. I appreciate so much you sharing about what you do and um the complexities but also the joys in your work. So, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm appreciative that you and your community are interested in working lands conservation. Thank you so much to Maggie Hanna for joining us today. I always value what Maggie has to say in the conversation regarding land and conservation. So thank you so much, Maggie. If you would like to learn more about the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust, you can go to ccalt.org. They also have an Instagram, ccalt underscore org, or you can search them on Facebook. Looking for a job in regenerative agriculture? Kavira Coalition has spent decades building a network within the regenerative agriculture community, and we love to share job, internship, and apprenticeship opportunities with our community through our podcasts and our monthly newsletter. One of the opportunities that we're featuring this month is the new apprenticeship program at Apricot Lane Farms in Moore Park, California. Apricot Lane Farms is a farm integrated within a reawakened ecosystem. Their focus is seeing and utilizing the interconnectedness of nature to help build soil health, maximize biodiversity, and regeneratively grow the most nutrient-dense food possible. Their apprenticeship program is a six-month educational experience that offers aspiring farmers the paid opportunity to immerse themselves in a variety of aspects of regenerative agriculture. For more details, visit apricotlanefarms.com apprenticeship. Applications close October 30th. And of course, applications for the 2022 season of Kavira Coalition's new agrarian apprenticeship program open on November 1st. The program offers eight-month full immersion apprenticeships on regenerative ranches and farms in New Mexico, Colorado, and Montana. Mentors in the program are dedicated stewards of the land, practice intentional regenerative methods of food or fiber production, provide excellent animal care, and are skilled and enthusiastic teachers. Visit our website, that's kaviracoalition.org slash newagrarian for full descriptions of all of the mentor operations and for more details on how to apply. Applications for the 2022 season close on December 15th. If you'd like to learn more about the program or talk one-on-one with one of our program coordinators, send us an email at newagrarian at kaviracoalition.org. To hear about other upcoming opportunities, sign up for our newsletter at kaviracoalition.org or visit kaviracoalition.org slash newagrarian slash resources to view our previous newsletters. Thank you for listening to Regeneration Rising, a podcast production of the Kavira Coalition. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other popular podcast platforms. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit kaviracoalition.org slash podcasts to become a sponsor or Patreon supporter. We'd like to thank Kavira staff members, Leah Ritchie, Taryn Dixon, Taylor Sanders, Leah Potterwaite, Tyler Eshelman, and Tafari Finn for their contributions to producing this podcast. This episode was edited and engineered by Caleb Wenzel Fisher. Wanderlust, our theme music, was made by Scott Buckley. 
and we're grateful to our guests for taking the time to talk with us about their experiences. Thank you for listening. Thank you.